taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Hey, it's great to be with you. And then if you're in Montgomeryville, Limerick, Royersford, Plymouth Meeting, watching online, why don't you just give us some love back and clap back to us, and it is great to be with you. I love the way we're able to do church. I love that we can unite with people from all walks of life, all different areas in this place through the use of technology, and we can bring church into people's homes that are sick or somebody who's never been here before, or you can share this message later on during the week if you choose to do that, uh, and you're all here with us, man. It is great to be with you. This day is never going to happen again in the history of the world as far as we will never all be together on this Sunday in these rooms, and so God wants to do something incredible. Next week, we start a new sermon series called My Kids Are Scary. How many are parents? How many of y'all sometimes are like, I don't know how to do what to do with these kids. Like, I think I got them figured out, and then they just terrify me. Some of you are not parents, and you're like, this is not going to be for me. Trust me, you're going to want to be here and take notes. Uh, Parenting is no joke, and uh, we are going to have a good time for the next four weeks heading into our Christmas season, just talking about it, man, and laughing about it, crying together, you know, figuring out ways to do it together, looking into God's word, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak, hopefully through me to you guys and to encourage you, equip you, and so that we can do this thing right. Parents are really important in their kids' lives. Uh, we, can, we can really push them towards making a decision to follow Jesus Christ with our example, and so we want to we wanna do it well, and it goes fast. Anybody a parent in here that's, you're already kind of through it, your kid's 17, 18, 19, you go, wow, it goes fast. I know if you have a baby, you don't feel like it right now. Uh, but I promise you in 10, 15 years, you're going to go, where did time, time go? So you want to use it for all that you can. And so today, we are in kind of a one-off, and I thought about what we should talk about. We have something coming up called a baptism bash on November 10th, where we baptize people. And I haven't talked about baptism specifically since 2014. And so kind of the same thing, I want to apologize to you, uh, those of you who've been in this church for a short amount of time, because when we first started, I talked about it a lot. I talked about salvation a lot. Uh, I talked about sharing your faith a lot, and we talked about next steps a lot. And so I was kind of mortified with my, myself as I look back, because I'm in, I'm in control of what I preach on, as long as I ask God, and you know, God's okay with it, and he, we're kind of speaking, and he's saying, you know, here's what you should talk about. And let me just, he doesn't never say that. I just feel that from him, and so I just want to kind of make sure you understand that. Uh, but I, I've, I feel bad for never talking about it. And so here, I want to be really clear with you today. My goal is for those of you who have never been baptized, to be baptized if you're following Jesus Christ. And for many of you who were baptized as infants, for us to take a look at that and maybe for you to reevaluate that and go, maybe I should get rebaptized again as an adult uh, because now I'm actually following Jesus Christ. And so I want to be really clear with you. Uh, I, want, I want you to understand, unclear is unkind. That's what we've learned in leadership books. And so clarity is kind. I want to be really clear with you with my intentions and also the point of this message. And so by the end of it, I want you to really understand the significance of baptism, but I want it to lead you t- to somewhere. I-, I want you to move. Every time we do a message, I want you to move. I don't want you just to get head knowledge. I want there to be movement in, in your life. And so I want to share this. And here's the, here's the thing about baptism. It's become kind of one of those weird church traditions, right? Like it's just part of something we do and nobody really understands it. And the truth is I get it because we have a lot of those in our life. Like we follow a lot of things. We blow out candles on a birthday cake. We have no idea why. We throw money in fountains and this isn't as popular, but when I was a kid, you threw money and you threw hard earned cash, your parents hard earned nickels and dimes in a fountain and no one ever took it. It was like an unspoken rule. You don't touch somebody's wish. And so we don't really know why we do that. Let me give you some other traditions that I think you would say we do, but you don't really know where they came from. 
Has anybody ever said bless you after somebody sneezed? If you haven't, you're rude. <laughs> you need to get saved, right? Like all of us at all of our campuses, we, we would say bless you. Now, I was under the assumption that that had come from the fact that when you sneeze, technically your heart can stop and you can die. Right? Anybody else hear that? So what you're saying is, hey, good, good job. You made it through that near-death experience. <laughs> good luck on the next one. That's not where it came from at all. Actually, where it came from is during the bubonic plague. The king of England said, listen, people are dying. We need to infiltrate our streets with prayer, lots of prayer. People are getting the plague. They're dying a slow, painful death, and there's no cure for it. So when you hear somebody sneeze, that is the first sign that they have the plague, and you're saying, bless you. You're about to die. Good luck. Hopefully, it's not that painful for you. Hopefully, God takes you fast. So that's where bless you comes from. So next time you say bless you to somebody that sneezes, I want you to think about the plague. And so other things. Anybody ever cross your fingers? You like say something? You're like, I didn't mean it. Why? Your fingers are crossed? Right? I, I studied a little bit because I've crossed my fingers before and been like, you know, used that as a kid. And even as a 40-year-old, I'd be like, I didn't mean it. My fingers are crossed, right? It actually comes from the early Christians. They trace it all the way back to the early Christians because crossing your fingers actually makes a sign of the cross, which was a really important symbol to the early Christians. And it was actually like a secret signal to each other because in that time to be a Christian was very dangerous. So it wasn't often something you would blab to everybody because it could cost you your life. And so they would meet in secret. And so it was a secret like, like signal, kind of like west side, east side. They had cross, uh, right? Like, like that. And you would just show somebody, you know, I think we should bring it back. You just see somebody, yo, what's up, right? Like <laughs> me and you. We love Jesus. And so you, you cross your fingers. And so that there's a little, we, we've done it before. We don't know where it comes from. Has anybody ever shaken somebody's hand? Let's just stop and talk about how disgusting that is, by the way. We walk up to a perfect strength. Like, you ever been in the bathroom and just been aware of your surroundings and then just kind of take a look at all? How many people walk out of the bathroom without, without washing their hands? Right? Like, you just, it just happens. Like, it just, sometimes you just walk out. And then you don't know where people's hands have been. You just walk up and to greet them, you just rub palms. Right? Like, it's actually kind of disgusting. We just do it. We don't even think about it. You know where it came from? It actually came from ancient Egypt. It carried on into the Roman Empire, Greek Empire, you know, into, into that. And what they would do in ancient Egypt is because, you know, people were always carrying weapons at that point, you would shake somebody's hand to make sure, basically you were frisking them down to make sure they weren't carrying to hurt you. So it was not a sign of, hey, how you doing? It was a sign of, hey, you carrying, we're going to have problems. We're going to have issues. So these are traditions that we follow now that we have no idea where they came from. Baptism is one of those. We, we know there, there's nobody in this room that has probably never been to a baby baptism, seen somebody get sprinkled, watched a priest do something, been to a baptism where somebody's gone in water and come back up, been all messy, like some kind of church tradition that we've seen. Most of us, whether we've been in church once or we've been in church our whole life, we know what baptism is. Most of us, though, don't understand it. It's become something that's almost misunderstood, passed down from generation to generation. So let me just give you a quick history lesson to show you kind of how we got here. When Jesus came on the earth, he got baptized in water, fully immersed. He actually wasn't the first one to do it. John the Baptist came a little bit before Jesus to prepare the way for the, for the Messiah. They were cousins. It's a pretty cool story. And he began to baptize people into repentance, and then Jesus came and kind of took over. There was actually a fight between his posse and Jesus' disciples. They were taking uh, followers from, from, from John the Baptist. It was a whole thing, right? And so well, you can read that in the Bible. But baptism has been around since Jesus. It was, it was actually the first step of a public confession of your walk with Christ. It was, that's what it symbolizes. It was you telling everybody that I'm going to receive what Jesus did for me on that cross, and I'm going to live the rest of my life following him. Jesus did it, and every believer since then, in the very beginning, they would get baptized in water after 
they made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And that was the tradition in church. That was the ceremony. That was, that was what they practiced until about 500 AD. And the church and politics began to get intertwined. And what happened is they began to realize we can make some money. We can control the world. We can make this whole world Christian. What they forgot is Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We tend to forget it in America, too, by the way. There's going to be this whole election thing, and you're going to see all these right-wing Christians, left-wing Christians, all these people stand up and try to get their guy, their girl in the White House, as if to say, if they get in the White House, we'll be saved. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, that included America, by the way. It's not of this world. It's of another world. That, that I want you to fix your eyes on that kingdom, not the, not the temporary. And so what happened is very similar. You had all these people. They said, let's mix politics and Christian, the Christian faith, and we'll actually make a Christian religion and a Christian empire. And what they did is they said, we're going to baptize everyone into the faith, even against their will. So no longer did you get saved, and it was your life was on the line if you identified yourself with Christ, and it was a big deal. Now they said on eight, their eighth day of their life, we're going to bring them in. We're going to sprinkle them. No choice. They are followers of Jesus Christ. And that, that kind of consistently went like that for the next thousand years. It's what we call the dark ages. And so you have this kind of dark ages happening where people are uh, getting baptized into the faith, don't have a choice, all these things. And then these men came on the scene. They were called the Anabaptists. That light sounds like it's about to blow up right now. Can you do me a favor? Just unplug that for me, Casey. The Anabaptists. Can you guys hear that? I don't want to die today, right? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to die. And so there you go. Thank you. And so you had these Anabaptists come on stage. I don't even remember their name. I'm giving you a little bit of my history lesson, 1500 AD. And they come on. They said, listen, uh, we're doing this the wrong way. You're making money. You're sprinkling babies. You're getting them into the faith. This isn't right. We read the Bible, actually. It's a good place to start. And people have to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and then they should get baptized. And so they started rebaptizing people. It was so bad for the church at that point, the Catholic church at that point, to be sure, because this is, this is where we get the Protestant church from. People started breaking away from their Catholic faith, saying this isn't, this isn't right, these traditions aren't right. That they, they were so mad at these men for kind of blowing the lid off their secrets, they began to murder people that got rebaptized. They would say, hey, if you want water, We'll give you water. And for about 50 years, they murdered between four and 5,000 men and women that had been rebaptized into the faith. And that's where we sit today. See, oftentimes, we don't know the history of church. We don't know how the Bible got back into our hands after it was taken. We don't know how baptism got back here. And so now what you have is years and years and years have passed, and you have this tradition that's been carried. Some of us have stepped away from it and actually read the Bible, and others of us have, have been born into it. And here's the problem with tradition. Tradition often will find its validity based on how long it's been going. And we need to find our validity of our faith based on what Jesus told us to do. But there, there's a difference. There, there's one thing to say, this is how they've always done it. But when you're a follower of Christ, you, Christ, you go, no, how does Jesus want us to do it? So here's what I want to do. I just want to give you three things that baptism isn't and is today. Three things. I'm not trying to offend you. I just want to look at the Bible. Listen, if the Bible offends you, you take it up with God. Don't get mad at me. I'm not trying to offend your parents' re religion. I'm not trying to offend your beliefs. I'm not trying to say when you got sprinkled, you didn't get wet. What I'm trying to say is when, when you got sprinkled, was it effective? Were you following Jesus Christ? Was something taken from you that maybe you need to take back in your life, a special moment that God wants to have between you and him? So let me just give you a couple things. Number one is this. is Baptism is not some weird custom. It's actually a command. Baptism isn't some weird custom. Because here's the thing about, about it, outside of, of, of it being something in the Bible, it's kind of weird. How do, you, how, do you, how do you join our club? Well, you come in, we put you in a tank, we, we completely soak you, your makeup runs down you, it's fine, don't worry about it. Invite your family and your friends, we, we, 
put water on you, eight days old, or a couple, you mean, put a white dress on you, right? Whether you're a boy or a girl, we hold you up in front of everybody, dump water from a, from a thing, right? And in our, in, our, in our religion, we have a big tank, a trough. We fill it up with, with, with a water hose from the spigot, put a little, little heater in there. That's, both, that's, for the, that's also for the trough that keeps the, the water warm so that the water doesn't, you know, freeze in the, in the winter. We keep it just right for you guys, put you in, you know, hand stir all the nastiness in for the next person. It's completely normal. This is what you need to do. And here's the thing about it. If it's just a custom, it's kind of weird. And the thing about customs is they're always changing. Like we have all sorts of customs in church. If you go to different churches, you know everybody has a custom. You're going to come to Journey Church, our custom is what? We're probably going to wear jeans. I'm probably going to wear a hoodie. We're probably going to have lights. We're going to have loud music. You know, that's, that's some of our customs. We're going to have coffee in, in, in there. We're, we're going to have certain, we're going to give your kids candy. That is one of our customs. That's one of our core customs, right? And so we're going to sugar your kids up, get them to want to come back to church next week. And we're going to do these things. These are some of our customs. You go to another church, they might wear something on their head. They might wear denim. You go to another church, they might wear black. You go to a different church, they might dress up in their, you ever hear, Sunday best. What's that? They're going to wear a suit, they're going to wear a a vest, they're going to have paint, like they're going to be decked out. The women are going to be wearing big old hats and and dresses. You know, their customs might be tambourines, our customs are drums. Like all these customs happen in church. And sometimes we look at these customs and we go, man, these these are customs. And, you know, they're, they're they're, they're just there and it's not that big of a deal. And I need you to understand something about baptism. Baptism is more than a church custom, it's actually a command. So you got all these customs, and they're, they're neither good nor bad. They're what I would call neutral. You want to wear a denim to church with, with a thing on your head, more power to you. You want to wear skinny jeans to church, fine. You want to dress in a suit and come to church because you got to wear God, your best, and you know Jesus wants you to wear a suit and a big hat and a dress, that's fine. You want to, you want to sing hymnals, sing them. Just don't make us do it, right? You, you want to you read out of the New King James Version? That's fine. Go ahead. I want to preach out of the NIV? That's, that's my prerogative. As long as we both preach the Bible. Like, if you want to do these things, you want to put a little, 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 little st- statue in your front yard of Mary? Kind of weird. Go ahead. You want to hold beads in your hand and, like, say prayer that you learned from, I mean, I guess. You want to do Lent and put some, some ash on your, on your head? Okay. Just don't. Just don't begin to put that into scripture as if it's something that's make or break, because that's when it becomes a problem. And the thing is, Jesus dealt with this all the way back into his, in his day. He called these people the Pharisees. That, that was their name. And he, you read scripture, he dealt with them over and over and over again. This is what it says in Mark 7. It says, the Pharisees, some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with their hands that were defiled. That means they were unwashed. So, so big problem. Disciples didn't wash their hands, and they were eating. And if you love God, you have clean hands, right? Take it down for a second. If you love God, you have a beard, not, not a full beard, just, just this, chin strap beard. If you love God, you have long hair. If you love God, you get your baby dedicated when they're eight days old. If you love God, you go to confirmation class. If you love God, all these things we add about if you love God, God, and so Jesus is dealing with this. They're going, if you love God, you don't eat that bread with that dirt under your fingers. You got to wash with the special soap. You got to wear the secret undies. You got to do certain things to get close to God. All sorts of things, by the way, that people do in the hope that they're going to be close to God. Watch what it says in verse 3. Bring it back up for me. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the, to the tradition of the elders. 
when they come from the marketplace. They don't eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of the cups, pitchers, and kettles. They, they had a certain way that they washed it. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Watch what he says. He says, he replied, Isaiah was right about you, the prophet from many, many years before. Watch what he says. He says, ye prophesied that you would be hypocrites, for it is written about you. These people are going to honor me with silly traditions like this, but their hearts are far from me. He says, your worship is in what? Everybody tell, tell me. It doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. You see, your, 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 your traditions, some, sometimes, if you're not careful, your customs, they actually are kind of silly. Certain, we're going to wash our hands. We're going to do this. And sometimes we get, we get stuff mixed up. We look at stuff and we go, that's just a church tradition. That, that is just the way they've always done it for the last couple of days. Not even from Jesus. But here's what I want you to understand about baptism. It is not a custom. It is actually a command from Jesus. I want you to think about it. If Jesus died, rose from the dead, a few weeks later went back to heaven, had some of the last things that he said to his disciples before he left, don't you think the very last things he said we should make sure we're, we're good at? Like the very last things. Like there's a lot of things he said that we should follow. But, but if you're dying, if you're in your deathbed, if I was in my deathbed and I was talking to my boys, I would make sure if I only had a few words left, if I was about to leave the earth, that I would make sure that I said things that were important to them. I probably wouldn't talk to them about the Eagles and Cowboys game. I just wouldn't. Like I'm going to talk about that today because I don't plan on dying. But if I was dying, I would say stuff like this. I would say stuff like, I'm proud of you. I love you. You know, be kind to your mom. Love your wife someday. Follow Jesus. I want to see you again. Something like that. I wouldn't say stuff like, hey, make sure you wash behind your ears. <laughs> and make, make, sure, make sure you put clean socks on. And make sure you, you know, make sure you brush your teeth three times. Like, I, I don't care about that. I want, I want to, and so Jesus has some of his last words. He doesn't say, hey, 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 hey. Make sure, make sure that you wear this type of clothes when you start coming to church in 2,000 years. And make sure, make sure your hair isn't too long and make sure your sideburns are right and make sure, make sure, make sure that you have the right, right length of clothes on, right? So make sure all those, make sure you sing the right songs to me. Watch what Jesus says. Really clear. He says, I'm going back to, to Matthew 28. He says, therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now so watch the second thing. What does it say? baptize them. I want you to go everywhere, and I want you to tell everyone about what I've done for them. And when you do, and they respond, what's the next step? What are they supposed to do? Baptize them in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and, and, and the Holy Spirit. You see, traditions find validity in time practice. But I got to tell you something. We're going to practice it because Jesus tells us to. It's as simple as that. Following Jesus is listening to him and doing what he says. That's what it looks like to follow Christ. So it's not a custom. It's a command. Let me just give you two more real fast. Baptism then isn't optional. It's foundational. Baptism isn't optional. It's foundational. It's everything. Listen, we love options, right? Like there, if I go to a restaurant, I want to make sure that I can pick what I want. I don't want to look at a menu and they give me four options and they say, you take it the way I, we make it. Like there's times I look at things and I read through it and I'm like, this sounds amazing and it gets the mushrooms. I feel like mushrooms is like a line in the sand kind of thing. Like you either love them or hate them. I hate them. I lived in Boyertown, drove many times to Reading, saw where they grow them. 
smelled. I'm like, I don't want anything that smells like that when it's being grown. So I don't want mushrooms. I don't want portobello mushrooms. I don't want anything. It all is disgusting to me. And so I will tell them at a restaurant, because I want that. I don't want mushrooms. And I got to tell you, if somebody looks at me and says, you have to take mushrooms, I'm not going back to that restaurant. I like options. In fact, here's how I want it to play out in my dreams. I say, I don't want, I don't want mushrooms, but in that same order is bacon. And the waiter or waitress looks at me and says, would you like me to double up your bacon? That is a godly restaurant. We're going to switch it out for the bacon, for the money. That's what I want. I want options. And I think a lot of times when it comes to following Jesus Christ, we want that too. We want to put in options where, where they're not there. And we'll say stuff like, I'm not ready to get baptized. I'm afraid of water. I'm afraid of getting in front of a big crowd. I just don't want to. I, I don't see the point when Jesus tells us just to get baptized as soon as we start to follow him. That's not good enough for us. And we start to actually think it's optional. And here's the thing about it. Lots of valid reasons does not make it reasonable. Lots of, we don't do this in parenting. And if you do, come next week, we'll talk about it. <laughs> a few weeks ago, my kids had off school and we let them home for a few hours. That's a mistake. And uh, nothing, nothing happened. They were alive when we got back there. And the next morning, it was time for school. I went into the guest bathroom and I pulled the drawer out of the guest bathroom. We have an Ikea vanity. When I pulled the drawer out, the whole thing came out from the wall. I was like, that's new. So I called Harrison because in my house, my first option is to blame him because he breaks everything. And he has been known to sit on that thing, to use the, the, the faucet, to pull himself up, to stand on it. To, he just, he just been known to do that. So I brought him up and I was like, did you break this? And he was like, no. And I'm like, you sit on it all the time. Don't you lie to me, boy. I always, I have cameras in the house. I don't, but I do. I'll go back and watch the cameras, like all this stuff. And he just, I didn't do it. And so Lincoln comes up and I'm like, Lincoln, I'm showing him the thing. I'm like, what is this? It's time to go to school. I'm like, why is it falling off the wall? What happened? And he's like, I don't know. I didn't do it. All this stuff. And then Harrison, because he actually knows what happened and it wasn't him this time, is like, I know. He was like, Lincoln and Carter did it. And so I started talking to them. I'm like, what happened? How did you do this? You didn't just pull it out of the wall. He said, well, we got in a fight yesterday. And I got the phone and I ran because I tried to call you. And he followed me. And I got up to the bathroom, and I closed the door, and before I could lock it, he came in, and so I pulled the Ikea drawer in front of it, and so the Ikea drawer is out, and the door is hitting it, and I was standing there trying to call you, and Carter is slamming on the door into the vanity, and as he's doing that, under the weight of the pressure, the whole thing is pulling off, and, and he, it, now that's what happened. Doesn't that make sense, Dad? You know what I didn't do? Oh, yeah, that's reasonable. Your reasons make me understand. I was like, dude, I don't care if you die. You don't do that. Like, you're ruining our house. You're ruining all this stuff. And, like, I, I, I think you need to understand the same thing with you and God. It doesn't make it reasonable just because you have all these reasons. You need to understand that it's not optional. It's actually foundational. And, and, and here's why it's foundational. Because your entire walk with God, where he can take you, is built on your obedience to the current step he's calling you to. And if you never take the first step... You can't get to where God has called you to be. You are only as obedient to this, as effective as you're going to be down there. And so you have to take the, the first step. And I, I did some studying to try to figure out if there was ever an example in Scripture of somebody who decided to follow Jesus Christ and didn't get baptized. Like the whole Old New Testament, if there was one person who was like, you know what, I don't really need to. It's just a church tradition. And there's one. So lean, if you don't want to get baptized, lean in really close. I'm going to give you the one reason. You don't have to get baptized if you're following Jesus Christ. If you're not following Jesus Christ, you don't get baptized. But I'm going to give you the one time in your life that if you are following Jesus Christ, that your next step is not baptism. Can I give it to you? 
It happened to Jesus on the cross. The only time. There was two thieves, if you read the Bible. One thief mocked Jesus. The other thief said, hey, I believe you're the son of God. Remember me today when you enter into paradise. And Jesus said, I'll see you there. And so he got saved in that moment. He repented. He confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And the Bible says, Jesus said, I'll see you there. And his next breath, because he was hanging on the cross, was to die. So if you're a Christian and you're ready to meet your maker today, then you don't have a reason to get baptized. But if you're planning on living a long life for God's glory and build his kingdom, and you haven't yet decided to get baptized, it's time for you to step in because it's foundational. It is everything in your walk with Christ. And here's what I love about Jesus. He's the example of it. One of the reasons I believe Jesus actually is who Jesus said he was is he only lived 33 years. He was born to a very common, common man and woman. He was a carp- son of a carpenter. We don't know much about his father uh, because scripture doesn't speak about him. Many, most people believe at some point his dad died. So he's being raised by a single mom in that time in history, which is a very difficult life. So he does not have prestige. He's not living a bougie life. He doesn't have a platform. He's a nobody. And 2,000 years ago, we're still talking about him. 2,000 years have passed, and we're still talking about him. That's why I believe he actually did what he said he was going to do. But one of the cool things about Jesus is most of what we know about him happened in a three-year span. He changed the world in three years. It's crazy pace. And right before he goes to do his work on this earth, the Bible says he goes to be baptized. He didn't start until he, he, he started there. And he shows us the process. He shows us the steps. Every, every relationship you have is formed in steps. I didn't walk up to my wife one day and say, me and you are going to get married. I thought that, but I didn't say that. The first step, you want, you, want, you, want to go, you want to go on a date with me? Please, right? Something like that. And then there was a second date. Then there was a third date. And then there was this, this big question. Write a note. You want to go steady? Fold it up. Circle yes or no. That didn't really happen. <laughs> that would be. So I, you want to you want to be my, my girlfriend? We were we were like we were boyfriend and girlfriend at Bible college. That means stay away, vultures, right? And so then we got engaged. Then we got married. There was a step by step thing. If you want to go where God has called you to go, you have to be in order. Your first step is to get baptized. It's not optional. It's foundational. Let me just give you one more. This one's really important. Number three, it's less about ceremony, and it's more about identity. Baptism is less about ceremony, and it's more about identity. Because here's the thing about it. Some of you, uh, you were sprinkled, maybe as an adult, I don't know. And you say, does that count? I, 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 would, I, I would say it's not, that, 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 that tradition is not found in the Bible, but if, if you've decided to follow Christ and that was your next step, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. But it's not so much about ceremony as it is about identity. Ceremony is how did, how did you do it, where, where was it at, what age was it. Identity is when you got baptized... Were you standing up in front of everybody and saying, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ? The thing is, your, your mom and dad can't decide that for you. You can have a whole believing family that have sold their life out to Jesus Christ and serve him with their whole heart and somebody who never has it. And just because you're uh, related doesn't mean you go to heaven. That's not how it works. Faith is personal. It's not private, but it's personal. You decide to follow Jesus Christ. And that's an identity thing. So three cool things happen in, in, in baptism that sometimes we forget. But the first thing is, is you are actually publicly identifying yourself with God, with Jesus Christ. That's why the sample, the example in scripture is Jesus went and got baptized at the Jordan River. Jordan River wasn't, wasn't the French Creek, you know, 
backwoods area. Jordan River was a popping place. People would go there for water. People would go there to wash. People would go there to swim. People would go there to hang out. I tried to think of somewhere, uh, some place like the Jordan, maybe like the Jersey Shore in summer. Maybe you don't go there. Maybe like the YMCA, Spring Valley YMCA pool in the summer when you drive by. It looks like hell, right? And you're like, I don't want any part of that. That's the Jordan River. Wild. Everybody there. So Jesus goes publicly to do it. And he's teaching us the principle. I'm going to publicly identify my life with God. Similar to when you get married and you put a wedding ring on. If you're really married to the person and you're proud of them, are you ashamed of that ring? Are you going, I need to take this off? Or do you want to show it off? I'm married to them. I get to be with them. I get to wake up next to them. They said I do to me. This is my wife. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, if you're with somebody you're proud of, you want to tell, you want to identify with them. How'd that happen? I don't know Jesus, right? Jesus made this a miracle that she married me. Like, this is amazing. That's what, that's what baptism is like. You're going to everybody saying, I identify myself with Jesus. He saved me. He bought me at a high price. He rescued me. He redeemed me. He forgave me. He gave me new life. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power to change even someone like me. And you identify publicly with Jesus. And the problem is you don't get to do that when you're a baby. You have no power to stand up before anybody. You have, even when you're a kid. This is what I loved about, one thing about my parents. They raised me in church and they never once forced me to get baptized. I was 18 when I got baptized. And I needed Jesus, trust me. And I never forced it because they knew they couldn't decide. All their faithfulness could decide nothing for me. It could point me in the right direction, but ultimately I had to have an experience with Jesus. And so when I was 18, I decided on my terms, on my time, that I'm never, ever turning back. And I'm going to follow Jesus all the rest of my, my life. And I got baptized in water, and I have never looked back. And it was the best decision that I have ever made. And then some of you say, well, why do you do it in water? Why do you take somebody down in water? And why, why does that whole thing happen? Well, the word baptism actually means baptismo, and it actually means to immerse. It was the way Jesus did it. It was the way John the Baptist did it. It's the way we do it. But the Bible talks specifically about what happens. Because it's a ceremony it's, and of some sorts. It's representing something, but it's more, it's more about identity. It's not just about the ceremony. And, and, and the Bible tells us in Romans that when, when you get taken down into the water, that it's actually a spiritual uh, example of what, what you did in, with your old way of life in the death of Jesus Christ. So your, 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 your past, your sin, your shame, your garbage... That when Jesus went into the tomb that he died for you, that he paid that price in full. And so you're being immersed as if to say, you know what? I was dead in my sin. But here's the cool thing. Some of you want to leave you down a little longer because you had a lot of sin. I'm going to dunk you a couple more times, right? I'm going to wash it around. But the Bible says when you come out of the water, that you are fully alive in Christ. So you go down and you're dead and you're hopeless and lost. And just like Jesus on the third day, uh uh-uh, it's not over. You come back up. And the cool thing about that word baptism, not only does it mean to immerse, but it also means to die. And not die like D-I-E, but D-Y-E. It was a, it was a word they would use when they would dye a, a cloth. And they would say, you know what? We're going to have this purple, this red dye, and this white cloth. And we're going to put it in the dye. And when we bring it back up, it's never going to be the same again. And that's a beautiful example of what happens in your faith. You die to yourself and your sin, and you are made fully alive in Jesus Christ. So here's what's so cool. When you see somebody in your life and they say, hey, weren't you so-and-so? I remember you from school. No, 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 I was that person. I was that person, but I've been made alive through Jesus Christ. I'm a new person. I've been bought with a high price. That was my old self. I buried that with Jesus Christ, and now I live in his victory. 
And I love that part of the gospel. That Jesus changes people forever. Just happened this week at our Plymouth Meeting campus. Vinay and Eric, they're our campus directors up there. And they were sharing a story. Um, they've come. They weren't always saved. And they've come from their own struggles, addictions, things like that. Part of your... And I think if you would have asked them years ago, if they would have been in church, especially working at a church, they would have laughed and said, no way. They had no idea about what God wanted to do with their life. So last week they said we invited uh, a friend to, to journey to Plymouth Meeting Campus, and Eric went and picked him up, and he was coming off a high. So they were explaining it to me. They were explaining kind of what happens, because I've never been in that. He, he said he was so high that he got to the point where he couldn't move. Like it was like stuck. He's in the parking lot. He's doing this. So we knew it was serious. We knew this was like, this was the moment like you could either die or, or live and we need to intervene on that. And so after church was over, we took him to his, his mom's house and we said, we need to get him into to rehab. And I'm making this story short. And so they convinced him and her to go to, to rehab and, and to detox and all those things and to get clean. And as they were sitting with the mom of the kid, she just looked at them and she said, well, what happened to you guys? Because I remember when you were like my son. I remember when you were strung out on drugs and your marriage was falling apart. I remember that part of you. What happened? And you know what they got to say? Jesus happened. Jesus happened. Jesus changed me. Now I'm a child of God. That was the old people. That was the old Eric and Vinay. Now we've been found in Jesus Christ. And that's what baptism is all about. And I started to think about it because I know there's a lot of you who are like, I'm new Christians, I'm going to get baptized. And there's others of you who are like, you know what? Like, I know if I try to get rebaptized again, you talked about the Anabaptists and the, and the Catholic Church drowning them. My parents just might. I don't know how to have that conversation with them, even though, even though I want to get baptized. And I'll, I'll give you two things. One, at some point in your life, for you to please God, you're going to have to displease somebody else. That's the first one. But two, Here's how I want you to explain it to your parents. I started thinking about it because I know that conversation is going to happen. Never been baptized or baptized when you're a baby, want to get rebaptized. How do you explain it to your parents? So I started thinking about it. You remember when you were like a little kid, like a really little kid, two, three, four years old, and your mom had her mom friends and you guys would hang out and maybe it was you were like a little girl, a little boy, and they would hang out with another little boy, a little girl. You played house. You remember you got like real close, like it was your first girlfriend or boyfriend. You came up to your parents at some point. You said, we're married. And they said, oh, that's great. We're so, like, kind of just played along with it, and you played house. And, and, and then some years, some years later, some years later, you fall in love with that actual person, right? And your, your parents are, they actually like their in-laws. And you come to them, and you're like, you're like, listen, we love each other. We fell in love with each other. It's such a romantic story. But we don't need to get married because we got play married when we were babies. And it's fine. Actually, we're married in God. Like, it's fine. What would your mom and dad say? Over my dead body, I raised you. We're having a ceremony. We're going to celebrate. Like, this is amazing. Like, let's, no, you don't get to do that. That was what? That was make-believe. Now, I'm not telling you it was make-believe because it had good intentions to it, maybe. But it's a similar process. It was taken from you. Do you imagine if that did happen and you did have that fake wedding and years later you started dating somebody else and your parents were like, no, no, no. You got married to Susie. You got married to Gerald, right? And they didn't turn out so hot. You saw them on Facebook. And you put like, Mom, look at them. I don't want to marry. You're married. Same principle. Like, I understand good intentions, but man, let's just go back to the Bible. When was the time you were lost? And when is the moment you were found in Christ? Because that next moment in your life, that next season of your life, needs to be, needs to, you need to stand in obedience and take that next step. 
So here's my prayer, and here's my purpose of this sermon. Many of you have not been water baptized yet. I need you to, I need you to sign up take that next step. I need you not to think about it. We overthink too many things. My parents, uh, they, they retired last, last week from their church 40 years. Hopefully you get to meet them here in the next few weeks. They said they're going to come here to church. I didn't know how I feel about having my mom here. So, uh, but they're awesome, and I can't wait for you to meet them. And when they do come, uh, I, want, I want you to meet them because you're here because of them. They took a chance on, on me in 2005, and they probably should enough. And they supported us. And one of the things my dad always said, he always said, just, just go for it. Just do it. Big faith. Trust God. That was the life he lived. That was the way he, he, he handed himself for 40 years, both of them. Just, just go after God. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. Just go after God. Just take the step. I don't care if your hair gets wet. I don't care if you're allergic. I don't care if you're worried about what you're looking like on that big screen. Don't worry about that. You're following Christ. Do what he says to do. He can't take you to where he needs to take you if you're not obedient in the moment that he placed you in right now. Others of you, you haven't, you haven't been baptized as an adult since you actually started following Christ. I'm not talking about if you were 8 or 9 or 10. Maybe you were the golden child. You like grew up in church, got baptized when you were 9 years old, and you've never wandered from God. More power to you. That wasn't my story, and for many, that's not your story. For many of you, you were, you were baptized as an infant, or it was kind of pushed on you, but it's really a personal decision. It's not pushed on people. And now you've gotten saved at all of our campuses, and you've decided to follow Christ, and you need to take this step. So what we did at all of our campuses, I want to kind of show you this paper before we, we move on, is that we gave you this paper right here. It says baptism. We'll make it as easy as possible for you. You got a pen when you walked in. Uh, there's tables in all of our lobbies that say first or second time guests. We also strategically put a few baptism tables with balloons. So you'll see kind of these areas, these marks at your campus with balloons, a blue balloon, a black balloon, and a white balloon. And you can take a moment, just fill it out. We will get you all the information. Some of you are like, what am I going to wear? We'll give you a t-shirt. You just have to wear clothes. That's not optional, right? Besides that, we will answer every question that you have. Your job is just to be obedient. So here's what I want to do. I want to bow our heads all over, these cam- all over our campuses. I want to close our eyes. And I want to be done talking, and I want the Spirit of the Lord to continue to talk. Some of you, right now, you're going, I don't, I don't know I need to be baptized, but really, I don't even know about baptism because I don't yet follow Christ. Maybe you grew up in church and you've kind of come back today because of, you know, uh, because of uh, some kind of upbringing you had and you kind of came back, but you don't follow Christ. You know, you never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord and followed him and given him your life. You don't think up waking, uh, wake up thinking about him and live your life to bring glory and honor to him, to be in step with him. But you want to. Others of you, you think stuff like this. You think, man, I'm not good enough to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I've messed up too many times. I have too much garbage. I have too many secrets. I'm not good enough to follow Christ. He can't use my life. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He doesn't call the good people. He doesn't call the accomplished people. He calls humble people. See, the thing about the person who I just talked about that I love about you is you know you're not good. You're real enough to look in the mirror and go, man, I've messed up. If there is a God, he's probably not happy with me. And I'm not good. And I got to tell you something, friend. I want you to hear my voice really clear. I don't preach because I'm a good person. I'm not. I have the same struggles you have. 
I've dealt with the same baggage, same anger issues, same bitterness, same questions, same confusions, same fears, same anxieties. Without Christ, I would be crippled in those. But I got to tell you something about Jesus. He took me. Took me as I was. He didn't leave me that way. But in the moment where I said, I'm not good, I was 18, I can tell you the day, I can tell you the moment where I said, here I am, I can't do this anymore, I don't want to live my life without you, I, I, I don't want to try to figure this out, I don't want to figure out my future, I don't know what to do. And so here I am, in so many years I was within uh, he, hearing distance of, of the, the gospel message, but it never changed me. But in that instant, in that moment, the Spirit of God filled my life. When I bent my knee to Him, I humbled myself. And He had changed me. And I'm not perfect, but He has never left me. He has never turned His back on me. And that same God, you're saying, I'm not good enough. Listen, God doesn't save good people. God saves humble people. No one's good in here. I'm saved. I've been bought at a high price. I'm a child of God. I live a life of grace. The Bible says that God's mercy for me is new every day. That he is faithful even when I have little faith. And he has never left me. He's a father. He's a friend. He's a savior. And he got you to this moment. He got you to this moment. And he gives you a gift today. The gift is salvation. The gift is forgiveness. The gift cost him everything. But here's the thing about a gift. The gift is only as valuable as you are to receive it. Like, so he can give it to you, but if you don't grab it and hold on to it, it's valueless. It's sitting there unopened. And so he has pushed it across the spiritual table to you. Here's salvation. Here's hope. Here's forgiveness. Here's mercy. And your job is to receive it. Your job is to receive it. And here's how you do that at church. You say, uh, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, and you say, here, here I am, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life, forgive my sins, set me free. It's not a long prayer. It's not a religious ceremony. It's simply you saying, here I am, I need you. I can't do this father thing. I can't do this husband thing. I can't do this school thing. I can't do this life thing on my own. I've tried. I am desperate. The Bible says, if you are weary and heavy laden right now, if you feel like that, come to him, he'll give you rest. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. He's freeing. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So here it is. The gift has been slid over to you at all of our campuses. It's been placed in front of you right now, and you need to receive it. You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You need to humble yourself before him. He's been doing the work on you since the moment you got here. You've hardly even heard any words that I've said. You've just been waiting to respond, and right now is your moment. Right now is your moment. I don't care if you're a teenager. I don't care if you're the oldest person in this room. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. Jesus is here right now, and he wants to change your life. And so if you're at our campuses, every, every one of them, there's somebody standing in the front just like I am, and I'm going to ask you to respond the way we respond at Journey Church. In a second, I'm going to say, if that's you, you just shoot your hand unashamedly up into the air. Nobody's looking around besides me. At our other campuses, they're going to let me know. Know, and then we're going to pray and we're going to celebrate together. So if that's you, right now is your moment. The gift has been slid across to you. All you need to do is receive it right now in faith. I'm going to confess Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Come on, all over these houses. If that's you, I'm going to receive the gift of Jesus today. Just begin to shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, hey, he's moving in my life right now. He's moving in my life right now. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else that would say, hey, Pastor, he's moving right now in my life and I'm going to respond right now. I see another hand right here. Is there anybody else? 
say, hey, pastor, that's me. Another hand right here. Yes, somebody in Limerick. Yes, yes, yes. Is there anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. I'm going to receive the gift of salvation right now in faith. I'm going to leave this place. I'm never going to be the same again. Hey, church, let's clap for that person in Montgomeryville right now. I'm going to give you one more second. I'm going to give you one more second. I think the Spirit of God is still working on somebody. The Spirit of God is still calling somebody home. He wants to change somebody forever. And some of you are fearful and you're worried somebody's going to judge you. This isn't real. God wants to change you right now in faith. When you say yes, he's able to bring his best into your life. Right now, he wants to do something incredible. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Is there anybody else who said, hey, pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to be about it. I'm going to obey the call of God, and I'm going to watch him change my life forever. Church, let's begin to pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you continue to do. Your word, it never returns void, ever. And we are grateful to be in your presence, for you promise where two or more are gathered that you show up in a powerful way. And so, Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you've saved people, that you've set people free, that you've created an atmosphere of life change. You've created an atmosphere of forgiveness and hope and mercy. And, Lord, you're doing something in this moment, Lord, that is going to change not only their life, but the course of history for many other people's lives. We're grateful for that. We thank you that we get to celebrate. But as we celebrate, we step back and we just take a moment to picture heaven. The Bible says all of heaven stops right now what they're doing to celebrate a child coming home to you. And so, Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your hope, your kindness, and your love that never leaves us nor forsake us. Lord, as people step into obedience today through baptism, Lord, we can't wait to celebrate November 10th. There's going to be many, many, many people that right now before they leave this room, that they're going to respond to the call. They're going to respond to be obedient. They're going to respond, Lord, and you're going to do incredible things in that day. And we're grateful for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, one more time, church, let's shout amen together. Come on, let's clap. Hey, somebody else in Limerick responded. Let's clap for them.